0: Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrull, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured, for better and sometimes worse, across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. I've managed to to catch you when you're stationary then, have I? Yes, well I was
1: out on Saturday but that's... uh...
0: Out for a quick, quick bimble?
1: Yeah, well, I'm just walking the, the Pilgrim's Way to Canterbury, uh, just doing it in stages. I actually walked it uh, in 1977.
0: Wow. So. You're clearly a person that um, makes a connection with life when when you're on your walks. Uh, am I right? Yes, yes, yes. It's incredible. Friends at home, John Merrill is probably um, the UK's most famous marathon walker. you know, walking was just something you did on a Sunday after you you'd had your roast and you know, a few people took it a bit further but but John really kind of smashed it out the park. He's incredibly famous for extremely long walks all over the world. Uh, we're talking now, And John, feel free to correct me, but uh, we're talking almost quarter uh, of a million miles. Not just the walking, but writing books to chronicle his his journey so other people can then, um, you know, buy buy the guide, follow in his footsteps. Um, I read something, John, on uh, Wikipedia, you'd worn out 149 pairs of boots. It's
1: now one hundred and fifty-two. <laughs> I've just started wearing my one hundred and fifty-third pair.
0: Fifteen hundred pairs of socks and and it, and it was forty-nine rucksacks.
1: Yes, that's... <laughs> and I, um, I keep them all. Yes, I keep, I, I keep them all because they're like uh, best friends, really.
0: Wow, well, we do get attached to our equipment, don't we?
1: Yes, well, I. I have a shed in the garden and it's got all the old boots in with little labels on to say what they've done. I have this mad idea that when I finally get buried, uh, instead of throwing roses on the coffin, you throw the old boots on.
0: (laughs) How did you get into walking and then marathon walking?
1: At the age of six and a half, I was at a school in Sheffield and they took us out one afternoon, the whole class, into... uh, the Rivlin Valley, and I ran up and down the rocks of Hag and I thought this this was sensational. I just enjoyed the scenery and the views, and it made a very deep impression. And from that moment onwards, I knew that the outdoors was going to be my life. But how I've no, I had no idea. And your first walk? I was out in the Peak District regularly, and I was actually climbing a lot uh, with the gritstone edges and. Uh, climbing them three nights a week, and, and then at the weekends in places like the Lake District and North Wales and so on and Scotland. But uh, I, I was climbing more at first to start with, but uh, they would climb up till lunchtime and then they'd disappear to the pub and get drunk, really, and that wasn't really my idea. I just wanted to climb all day. So I drifted away from that. We, the club did a walk around the island of Arran, and climbed a few few of the mountains. And uh, I thought, what else is there? And I looked on the map and there was the island of Mull. So I thought, well, I'll walk around that and see if this idea of mine about making a living from from doing the walking uh, was possible. And uh, I walked around part of the island and I got down the Ross of Mull and was overlooking the island of Iona and a, a rowing boat pulled up and the boatman said, do you want to go to the island? And I, I said, well, yes, please. And so he rowed me across to the island and I camped outside the abbey, which you can't do now, but uh, I did then. And I, it was raining and I walked into the, uh, the abbey itself and saw there was a service at six o'clock put it in the back of my mind, went back to the tent and read a book and cooked a meal. But at five to six, a voice in me said, go and uh, to that service. So I went to the service, wondering what I was doing, singing the hymns and the prayers. And then it came to the sermon. And it was the, the main theme was that God gives you the chance to do what you should be doing. And if you don't take it, you get it again. And I sat up, right, that's it. I've got the chance to do it. So the next day, I continued and walked around the rest of the island, about 230 miles. And I got back to Oban and I drove down to Sheffield because I was working for my father, had a chemical factory. And uh, I walked into his office first thing Monday morning and gave him six months' notice. It was a oh. bit shell shocked. But in the, in the six months that I had, I uh, had this idea that I'd been walking around the Isle of Mull of doing a thousand mile walk and linking all the islands of the in and Outer Hebrides together. So I worked it all out, 54 days, and got to all the islands. And also I uh, thought, there's not a book on walking in Derbyshire. So I wrote one, and I uh, just sent it to the first publisher, local publisher, and they accepted it. It sold nine and a half thousand copies, and then they said we're not going to reprint it. I said, Well, it's got short and long walks, can't we split it into two books? So we've got short walks for the motorist and long walks for the rambler. And they said, Oh, that's a good idea. And the uh, short walks for the motorist sold 95,000 copies, and the long walk one sold 65,000 copies. Mm. But anyway, on, on June the 1st, I set off and walked a thousand miles through the inner and outer hebrides and it only rained once absolutely breathtaking it was stunning
0: So <laughs>
1: well, that was the first walk <laughs> a long walk as it were
0: john i just want to chip in here and say you know isn't that a wonderful bit of advice for the people watching now at home and the people listening that How many people must be locked into a job that they probably don't even like or at best they bear it because it pays the bills? Would you encourage people to follow their dreams is what I'm trying to say?
1: Yeah, don't listen to anyone's advice. If it's what you want to do, set off and it will all happen.
0: Because I've done a bit of long distance stuff myself. Uh, I don't know if Susie told you, but I crossed... 250 kilometres of the Sahara in the famous uh, Marathon of the Sands. Um, And I did John O'Groats to uh, Land's End. Yeah, I went downhill. Psychologically, even though I live in the southwest, going uphill, (laughs) no way.
1: (laughs) One of the best bits of advice I was told is don't tell anyone, just go and do it. Because it all put you off. And bring up sort of all sorts of barriers and which then circulate in your head and uh, you won't want to go and do it then
0: when you started out you know being you know a generation before me i bet everybody tried to talk you up because they were really quite regimented weren't they in like you work hard for a living and you 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 have your sunday off and you you know, you have a roast, yeah. and then you go back to work on the Monday, and that's that's what a man does. Did did people think you were crazy?
1: Yes, and they they, they tried to put me off all over the place, but that's why I shut up and just set off. And then you know, I walked up the, through the Hebrides, and the next year I linked all the islands of the Orkneys and the Shetlands together, and that was another thousand mile walk.
0: You did the land's end to John O'Groats so foolishly you went uphill, but that's easy mistake to make. Ooh. First to walk the entire British coastline, seven thousand miles uh, across America, coast to coast. I'm fascinated to ask you about that. Yeah, and um, this is a little bit um, my neck of the woods. Uh, the Utneheimen, that's Norway, isn't it? Yes. 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 First crossing of the Utenheimen Mountains and glaciers. You crossed 28 glaciers and climbed all the highest peaks. Is yeah. it uh, Pigan or Pigan?
1: Yeah, yes, pigan yes.
0: Yes, yeah. I think I've well, done that it, one.
1: It was my father, really. Um got him my third school. I was a disaster at school. Uh, I failed everything and got school records for the highest number of wax with the cane. Uh, normally you got three at one bending and if you were very bad I, you got six but i got nine <laughs> and by the time i left i had 76 waxes of the cane
0: did that give you a distrust of authority
1: no i, I just brushed it aside uh, i didn't pay much attention to it at all
0: uh,
1: sort of jumping ahead a bit uh i was adopted and uh well, at the age of 13 in school, they started teasing me, saying, You're adopted to me. My father came up, my, well, I called him my father, but because uh, I never met my uh, real father, but uh, he, he told me a story that uh, uh, my, my father was in the RAF and shot down over Germany, and my mother was in uh, with me and child, but uh, The shock of him dying and being killed sent her into labor and uh, she died and I was a seven months child. And I thought no more about it until uh, the last 20 odd years or so. And I've been researching my past now. When we adopted father, he gave me my adoption birth certificate. And from that number, I could trace, but I never told him, well, he died. Three, year, three months later but because uh, he, he was brilliant and uh, he did everything possible, really. But uh, I discovered then that I, I did have a natural sister and I discovered who my father was, although he never saw me, and so on. So it's been a steep learning curve and it's still going on, really. Uh, and But I also, in the research... Uh, I read this book, uh, "Primal Wound," two years ago, and it's about people who have been taken from the birth mother, and it does affect them. And this is why I was rebellious at school. I mean, the father, well, the headmaster suggested I, I go to a specialist and, and be checked out. And he, he got so I went to Harley Street, and I had uh, two hours of exams and questions and so on. And the specialist came out to her father and said, "I have bad news for you."
0: He says, "It's normal." Was that reassuring for you?
1: Well, I, I didn't think I was uh, any different, but uh, no. You know.
0: Well, John, here's the thing. Yeah, I, my my, I studied um, youth work. That was my my uh, uh, at uni, and one of the things you learn is. Um, attachment theory. It goes back Uh, to a doctor, Dr. Bowlby. I'm sure you've, you've maybe heard of him. And he said, um, well, he, he, he did an important piece of work. He said that, that the early years for an infant and the attachment with their mother can really dictate how they will be later in life. Yes. Yeah. and, Generally, when that attachment is, is, is fractured in, in any way, such as, you know, things, possibly adoption or people placed in care, that young person can grow up really disruptive, if not even sort of sociopathic later in life. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: You've seen the complete opposite of a yeah, sociopath, I, John.
1: Yes, a completely sane, as it were. Yeah, I have no problems whatsoever. But I, I, I subsequently discovered that the mother had died and was looking for me for the last 10 years. But, of course, all, all avenues were closed to her. I've just got two half-sisters and, and uh, I'm an uncle to, to many and a great-uncle, and now I've got a great-niece. So it's it's still unfolding, really. Mm.
0: And the story about your dad being shot down over Germany was... Was that true, or was that just your your um, adoptive father protecting you?
1: Yeah, well, it a, I understand understand why he said it. He was in the RAF, and it was a one-night stand in, in Luton. <laughs> At, uh, and my mother didn't die in childbirth, of course.
0: John, let's talk about equipment, because I'm guessing on your, your longer walks... You, you camped out.
1: If you're walking, uh, one year I walked the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico to Canada. So I, I brought uh, 14, uh, well, it was about a dozen uh, parcels with 14 days of food in, because every 14 days I'd call at the post office on the route and get me next lot of food that I would need, because I would not see anyone or anything for another 14 days. But I met up with all these these parcels and and uh, but it was a fantastic walk
0: that's kind of like um they call it depoting, don't they when, when they cross antarctica yes and they bury the food in the snow you know that's 20 right. 20 miles ahead
1: well yes. I, I walked the appalachian trail and i did the same thing on that and i went back recently i walked the chesapeake ohio canal which crosses the the Appalachian Trail, and people don't do that anymore. They walk for a couple of days and then take the first forest road down and get the food and and back on the trail. You know, to me, it spoils it. You know.
0: Yes, there was. There was a chat. Uh, I don't know if you ever ever heard of Scott Jurek. No. No, he's a, he's um one of the world's most famous ultra runners. Uh, he's also um, um, famous for being a vegan um, sort of chef, I suppose you'd say. And he ran the Appalachian Trail. Is it is it about two thousand eight hundred miles?
1: Yeah, well, not far off. You go from yeah. Springer Mountain in Georgia to Mount Katahdin in Maine.
0: Yeah, he 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 ran it in something crazy, like oh gosh like three three weeks or something, uh, mm. doing like you know a hundred miles a day or or something crazy like that, and um, when he got to the end, and he'd obviously broken all previous records, they poured him a glass of champagne at which point the park police came and arrested him <laughs> for <laughs> for drinking alcohol in the park. <laughs> I thought, what is the world coming to? Um, did you, did you see any bears? Um- oh yes,
1: I, I had bears right up to the tent and breathing in my ear really, well he bang your pans and, and make as much noise as possible and, and he did go away and I lay there sweating and he came back again an hour later and I frightened him off again and there was a cabin nearby and I thought oh, I'll see if I can get in there, took the tent down and I couldn't get in the cabin, but there was a wood store next door. And I got in the door and, and fastened it and put my sleeping bag on top of the, uh, all the wood pile. And then I couldn't go to sleep because all the mice were jumping up and down on me.
0: <laughs> you must have seen the equipment change over the years from fairly sort of basic post-war kind of kit to, to all this Gore-Tex and, and carbon fibre and... You know, um, ultra lightweight stuff. How has that been?
1: Yeah, well, well, walking the Appalachian Trail or Pacific Crest Trail, I was carrying about sixty pounds of equipment. But then, you know, we had twelve or fourteen days of food to start with, so yeah, we well, for the first week and then start for the second to get the weight down. But uh, I, I did use Gore-Tex. But uh, for me, it doesn't work. Why is that? Because my I, I generate too much heat, and the Gore-Tex just won't handle it. I mean, the equipment m- manufacturers are horrified to say it doesn't work. But we're all individual; we're all built differently. Uh, I mean, uh, when I walked the Pacific Crest Trail across the Mojave Desert. It was 120 degrees and I had 60 pounds on my back. I had an ice axe and and rope because two days later I'd be on top of a 12,000 foot mountain. But uh, I just don't carry water, which would probably horrify you, but I don't carry water and I don't drink water. And I get told off all the time. But this is the way you you made, because in the previous life I was a Bedouin in the desert with a, 300 goats and a harem of 30 women. (laughs) And they will have something to drink at breakfast and then they'll go all day and don't drink. And only when they get to the next oasis or where they're going to camp do they drink again. So that's where my training comes from.
0: That's one of the most fascinating things I've ever heard that you don't drink water. Um...
1: The simple rule is that. uh, the more you drink, the more you want to drink.
0: And yeah. the
1: more you drink, the more you sweat. So I yeah. find it no hardship to go 12 hours without drinking.
0: John, what about when you're sort of in the desert? Are you, are you ever worried that you're not going to find a water source?
1: No, because you go with total face.
0: Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Something, I guess, the 99.9% people lack and I'll, I'll hold my hand up there and say include myself in that 99% no,
1: I, I've never not found somewhere to camp at the end of the day I plan nothing mm. uh, all I do is uh, the night before I run through the route or where I want to be by the tomorrow night so that when you get up your mind is already programmed that's where you want to be It's immaterial how many mountains or whatever there is to do before you get there and uh, I always find somewhere to camp
0: Do you drink straight from the stream or do you do you do you use um, you know chlorine tablets or anything
1: No just straight from the stream you know. mm. on the Appalachian Trail one day in the cabin there was this funny water so you put all these tablets in and the, the things were still jumping around after 20 tablets <laughs> So I just threw a lot away. I thought oh, I can't handle that. Yeah,
0: yeah I had i gi- so gi- never
1: carried uh, any any tablets really. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I just did it as an experiment. <laughs> yeah.
0: I had um, Giardia in South America. Stupidly, I was drinking water from the tap every place that I stayed throughout Mexico. Um several countries well through through all of central america i got down as far as ecuador filled up from the tap and stupidly i didn't even look at the water um and i didn't realize it was coming from a tank on the roof oh and when i when i went up and looked at the tank on the roof because i was really ill the uh, the cover was half off so it was right in the sunlight and of course this I looked at my water bottle and it was heaving, heaving with um, <laughs> pond life basically. And oh, that was a—that's not a good one to. That's not a good uh, parasite to get. So yes, so you've seen equipment change over the years.
1: I mean, I like a Gore-Tex tent because it's got plenty of room for it to breathe. Mm. Uh, but not as a clothing for me, anyway. The clothing fabric.
0: Yeah. Well, I. I kind of get that. I'm, I'm okay with Gore-Tex. Um, I go, if I go running and it's wet, I put on an old military Gore-Tex jacket that I've got. But when I did the John O'Groats thing, I bought this ultra lightweight rain jacket. I tell you what, it got you more sweaty than, than it got you more, more wet through sweat than just, than the blooming rain. I couldn't wear it. I had to keep taking my T-shirt off and just wearing the jacket.
1: No, I, I'd rather get soaked and be comfortable and carry on walking and, and yes. there's sweating inside and it's streaming down your arms,
0: yes. You said it takes a certain amount of miles to sort of get your fitness. Then it takes a certain amount of miles to get in your stride. And then there's a certain amount of miles where maybe you're past it. Was it, was it something like that?
1: Yes, well, the first 500 miles is settling down and getting used to walking every day and being outside and carrying a load. So I say people who've walked the Pennine Way haven't begun. But, <laughs> but uh, after 500 miles, you're getting more into it. And when you get to 1,000 miles, you're totally at one with everything. You're totally at peace. I mean, bears can just walk in front of me and you're not worried. If, they, if it happened in the first week, you'd be frightened to death but uh, when you get to 1500 miles you're at your peak performance and you can hold it for about 800 miles and then physically you're
0: declining. It's amazing as well how much kit you think you need but you don't need it.
1: A lot of the time I just take two t-shirts one to wear in a restaurant at night or something or uh, and wear the other one all the time and the night I just stand under the shower and wash it <laughs> while it's on me. You know. but, uh,
0: Could you give us some examples of dangerous, you know, have you been robbed at all?
1: I've just been totally, totally lucky, as it were. I've never had any trouble anywhere. Well, in the Himalayas once, uh, I was walking in the Langtang Valley and I stayed the night in this bamboo shelter. Uh, and the owner of the shelter Came and sat on my bed because these three unsavoury characters came in, uh, and they would have robbed me and uh, and taken all all the equipment. I mean, the equipment is worth more than th- th- what they'd earn in a year. So life is cheap there, but life
0: is cheap anyway.
1: Where the, where was this? This is in the Langtang Valley in in the Himalayas in Nepal.
0: Hey. Yeah, it's a bit like that down there in South America. Um, I met lots of tourists, uh, uh, sorry, I met lots of backpackers. And we were one time, we were diving on an island off, I think it was Honduras. It's called Utila, this small island, it's beautiful. And everybody sat around the dinner table in this backpackers <laughs> had been robbed in Quito, um, and they'd had everything. We, myself, and my, the person I was travelling with, we were the only two. Um, but then I, because I'd spent a lot of time in the Amazon, I had a big machete, and <laughs> I don't know if that, I don't know if that put people up. Well, I'm, I'm, I was hoping it was putting people off, Rob. But it was horrible that, that down there in South America, you can be on a bus. And the bandits will stop the bus in, on some jungle road, and they would shoot the driver, and yeah. then just everybody on the bus would obviously, you know, give them everything. It's a, it was a bit, yeah. bit precarious down there, but you know, hey ho. Um, what, what's have you had some funny moments? Oh, uh. I'll have to think about that one. <laughs> uh, and also, uh, what about interesting, interesting people? Uh, I'll go first, John. I met a guy in Hong Kong, um, outside Chungking Mansions, which is a—it's kind of like a ghetto of high rises where a lot of the uh, emigre community live because it's really cheap. I went down there for a certain uh, business transaction. I won't say what it was, but as I was waiting outside, this chap approached and he just had a white robe on all kind of sort of, you know, biblical. And he, he, he came up and he said, hi, my name's Pepe, which I thought was fascinating. And he'd, He'd owned a machine shop in America for years, you know, some uh, an engineering business, and then he sold it up to become a child of the rainbow, which cool. is a, a a global wandering. It's not a cult because it's beautiful. It's a community, a global community, and they all meet up every year and somewhere beautiful on the planet, and they have workshops teaching people how to juggle and. Dance around the fire and massage and and music and I, it was it was incredible and this guy lived he he was traveling the world and he just had a, a like a little handbag, yes. and he would laugh at me as some of the things I would come out with and you know I was a naive twenty six year old <laughs> and uh, he could see some of my desperation, um, and yeah I, I it, 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 he was just fascinating. He was so simple.
1: I just have amazing encounters, really. I, uh, When I was walking around the coast of Britain, I decided I would climb all the three highest peaks as I came up the west coast. And uh, so, I, first of all, I went up Snowdon, all full of snow and ice, and I was just in my shorts and a T-shirt, and it was freezing on top. And I just got to the top, uh, and moments later... Three figures came came out of the, the mist with ropes and ice axes and everything. And uh, they all shook me by the hand and said, fancy meeting you here. And I said, well, if you don't mind, I'm going to have to run down to warm up. And uh, I said, well, they said, uh, we'll, we'll hopefully meet you on the top of Scarfell Pike. I said, I'll be there in a month. And it's a true story. I got to Raven's Glass. And it was a 34-mile return walk to the top of Scarfell Pike. Snow and ice again. And there on the summit, I met the three climbers again.
0: Incredible.
1: It was never planned. We never communicated in between because there was no mobile phones then. I did say I'd seen them on the top of Ben Nevis, but I never did. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, no, I went to Rome. Well, nearly three weeks, three months ago, sorry, three years ago, to get some information because I'd walked three times to Mont Saint Michel. And the, the original Saint Michael visitation site is Monte Gardeno in southern Italy. And I could find nothing about it. So I went to, uh, to Rome and I found a bookshop and I found a guidebook and, and everything. And uh, I just walked into the Vatican and had a walk around. And, and I just walked into the office and I said, is it possible to see the Pope? And they said, yes, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock.
0: Wow.
1: Go and see that man in the corner. He'll give you some information. And he, when I seen him, he, he told me to go to the Vatican guards outside. And he told me, get here early. and You've got two lots of security to go through. And... uh it was early. He was quarter to ten when he arrived, and uh, he blessed me, and I explained what I was doing, and he moved on to the next person.
0: Whoa! How did you feel after that?
1: Oh, I, I was stoned really. Uh, uh,
0: he didn't try and uh, borrow, uh, borrow any money off you, did he?
1: No. no, no,
0: I've, no. Heard st- I've heard stuff about that Pope, you know. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, uh, John... What about the the uh the Camin the Camino the Camino? Yeah, the,
1: the, the Camino pilgrims. Santiago, yes.
0: yes, there's a brilliant film. Have you seen the Way with um, Martin Sheen?
1: Yes, I, I didn't really like it, but <laughs> because it, it didn't capture my experience and and what I had experienced on it. I've walked there seven times now by different routes. Wow. I've walked it from the free across the whole of France, and then then along the Camino Francis to, to Santiago, and then on to Cape finisterre the end of the known world. You meet hundreds of people. It's, it's an, a nightmare because you you get to a, a refuge where you can stay the night, and then in the morning, they're all ringing up for the next one to book a place there. But I... I also walked from the Seville, the Silver Plateau Way, and uh, I met no one in 750 miles. Wow. And I've, walked it, I've traced the whole route through Portugal from the Algarve. And again, it was only in the last two days that I meet people. Oh, well, I did have a, an amazing experience when I got to uh, just beyond Orancy in, uh, on the Silver Way, I went into the tourist office and they said, you can stay in the monastery. And I said, could you ring them and see whether it's possible? And they said, no, 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 you speak to them. And I thought, well, <laughs> I don't really speak Spanish. So uh, he insisted that I try. So I, I went out into the phone box and got the uh, the phrase book out. And I started speaking to the, the monk at the other end of the phone. And he just said, no, no, speak in English. <laughs> And they said, what time you would be be there? I said, oh, five o'clock. He says, when you get into the square, just ring the bell. And I got there at five o'clock. I rang the bell once and the door immediately opened and there was this Cistercian bunk. And he took me along all these flagstones and past where they were saying their prayers in in the chapel. And uh, I thought he would just get a bunk bed. But he opened the door and there was a complete ensuite, carpeted and everything. And I joined them for... Prayers and and uh, and then a meal in the evening, and in the morning, uh, you just give a donation. And the, uh, the three days previously, I'd walked along this road by a lake, and there, in the middle of the road, was twenty-five euros. And I thought we we're just going to get blown away. There was no one about, nothing. So they were brand new. I don't know why they were there. Anyway, I picked them up, and. Uh, so as a donation, I gave him the 25 euros plus another 25 from me. And he rushed off to the abbot and the abbot came along to thank me and so on. And, and we got talking. He says, how many miles have you walked? Well, I said I'd done about 186,000 miles by that time. And the monk who'd been been there for 20 years immediately bent down and was kissing my feet, with boots. And I said, no, 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 I'm not worthy of this. And I had to lift him up and and, uh, and then we walked out to the square to the where the trail was on outside the gate, and I set off from Santiago. but I've never forgotten that powerful moment. It was gosh, you,
0: you, and you've got to get out of yourself, haven't you, to experience these you've got to get out there and give this stuff a go, and yes, you know, I've always just, wanted to I,
1: I, I just say,, uh, just set off expect nothing and just watch the miracles that unfold
0: yes exactly exactly it's um i've always wanted to row across the atlantic so i've I've just decided to do it and all the stars have aligned and i've got a boat um or i can hire a boat i've got a three good buddies to come with me and um I just wouldn't want to live life any other way. I don't think I could. You know, you, when you become a family man, thing, things get tamed down quite a lot, which is, you know, you 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 get beauty in other areas of your life then. Um, but I still, I'm just excited listening to your stories, John, because it's it brings back so many your know, wonderful experiences that that. That I've had in like the smells and the the sights and the sounds
1: yes mm.
0: and and we share a, a a passion of mine. I haven't done it for many years, but cross country skiing oh yes yeah isn't it brilliant
1: yes i mean the, the Utenheim i i've and well from littlehammer I've done a cross country skiing from there. And, and from Jovik or something.
0: Anyway, yeah, so. did you say Lilyhammer? Yes. Yeah, I lived in Lilyhammer for well, on and off for about two two years. Uh, I lived on. I actually lived in a place called Eyar, which is on top of one of the mountains. I uh, lived in a ski, uh, an old ski lodge. Um. Oh, John, it was incredible. Oh, I think we've paused. Hang on. Oh, sorry, John. We paused then for a sec. Yeah, I lived on top of a mountain in an old ski lodge with, with um, seventy other people, and uh, yes, one wonderful. Um,
1: well, uh, yeah, I'm very fond of Norway, and uh, I, uh, I did the St Olaf's Way recently from Oslo to Trondheim, four hundred miles. Uh, it's a pilgrim route, but uh, again, it was fantastic through the mountains and I saw no
0: one. I'm just looking at my map. Yes. Oslo to Trondheim. Yeah. I lived in Trondheim as well. I lived on a small island just off Trondheim called um oh. oh. uh, Freya. Um, I lived there for nine months, chopping salmon in a factory. Oh. I made... I say I paid my mortgage back home and I saved 9000 pounds in in 9 months just That's saying it. this for friends at home this is what stuff you can do if you want to get out there and smash your life so I've got 9000 pounds I traveled for 80 months to every single country I ever wanted to go with my tent on my back my cooker eating cheap from the markets and the the shops in Bolivia, you get a three-course meal for seventy cents back yeah. then. And I did my first skydive. I did my ad- advanced scuba diving course. Dived on a barrier reef. Saw every single ruin in in Central South America. Um, all round. Um, Asia, da, da 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 da. And that cost me less. I spent five dollars a day, so three yeah. quid. People say, Chris, how can you afford to travel? I say, because it's a lot cheaper than living yeah. in the UK, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you get your dreams come true at the same time. So I hope that inspires some of you good, good, good friends out there to, you know, have a think about this because life really is too short not to live. You know a life like John John's lived. Um, finally, then John coming on. Um, you're a multi faith minister. Yes, that yeah. sounds wonderful. Can you explain what what that is for us?
1: Well, I was brought up a Christian, but of course, being in the Himalayas, you introduced to Buddhism and and doing the Roman Catholic uh, pilgrimage in Spain and all over all over the place. And uh, I think when I was about 65, I think, uh, a voice in my head saying, uh, you should become a priest or something. And the next day I got the Kindred Spirit magazine, and there was this advert, trained to be interfaith ministers. And and, uh, so I went to the Open Day, and I knew I was going to do it before I even started. And... uh, I did go up to the head of faculty and I said, I said, I want to do the course, but I have no qualifications because I failed all my O-levels. I think 14% was the best mark I got, and that was in English. (laughs) But she just said, no, no, we're just honoured to have you here. So that was it. And it was two years in in the seminary and you learned more about all the different faiths and all the the services. So I've... I, I've done weddings and funerals. There's done over five hundred funerals.'ve uh, for every faith and and also for every nationality. I mean my first wedding, <laughs> it was in Sarajevo, and I have no idea how i how they emailed me, but she was a Muslim born in Sarajevo uh, and then became a Christian, and then she moved to America and met a Hindu. So we had all three wedding rituals in the city hall in Sarajevo, when it was the first wedding there since it'd been, after the war, being totally restored. And that was just something else that cropped up. So you just never know from one day to the next. Mm. I mean, in two months' time, I'm marrying a Frenchman. He's coming from... from uh, Southern France, and is going to be married in a chapel in in central London.
0: I take it you're marrying him to somebody else, not you, not marrying him yourself. No,
1: no, no, no. Yes, he's marrying Chloe. Yes.
0: Oh, beautiful, beautiful. John, listen, it's been absolutely fascinating um, chatting. Just, just stay on the line. I'm going to say our goodbyes, and then I'll click the record off. And then I want to thank you uh, properly, but for the purposes of the podcast, um, it, it, just incredible. Um, I really think you're probably one of the most fascinating people that I've ever, ever met, and I'm so honoured um, to make your acquaintance. And I just feel so inspired now to keep to keep on the path with everything that I'm doing. Do a bit more is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Good. Do, you know, keep, keep, keep at it. Keep at it. So you're a prolific writer. We're going to put links um, below to your to your books, so people can um, find find out where they are and then have a look through and decide um, which ones they'd like to buy. Is there anything else you'd like to promote, John? And of course, I I also got to ask you, what's next for you?
1: Yes, well, I I still want to finish the Pilgrim's Way, and then I've got the, uh, in France, when it's cooled down a bit, it's a bit hot there at the moment, but but, uh, they've asked me to walk the St. Martin's Pilgrim Route. Uh, uh, It's only 120 miles, but that's the first part they've waymarked. Uh, So I want to go and walk that. It's a prelude, really, to walking it all the way from Hungary to to tours, St. Martin's of Tours, to the cathedral. So I've got that in mind in the next couple of years. But before that, I want to walk from Canterbury to Rome. Uh, That's 1,400 miles.
0: Wow. And will you, do you camp out for that, or do you get accommodation? Uh,
1: No, well, you can camp out in France, but beyond that, it's, it's more refuge or you can stay in priest houses or
0: monasteries so unbelievable friends at home i hope you've enjoyed this as much as i have thank you so much to john for coming on the show if you could um like and subscribe and click the notification bell da 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 that would be great massive massive love to you all thank you again to john see you soon friends thank you for listening to the bought the t-shirt podcast Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.